I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk. Welcome to episode 46 of Blue Jays Nation Radio. I'm Cam Lewis. Tyler Uremchuk is on yet another vacation. This guy's never here. What does he do? What do we pay him for? He's off in Chicago for some reason. He tried to explain to me what he was up to. I didn't get it. I don't understand. I don't know why you're not at home, glued to your TV, watching Toronto Blue Jays baseball like me and my good friend, Brendan Kuhn. Brendan, how's it going? Uh, it's a Good Vibes podcast. So good, good vibes to be podcast. with you. The Jays continue to win series. I think that's a sixth series win in a row. Correct. Uh, yeah, things are, things are good in the baseball world. The Toronto Blue Jays just took two or three of the Tampa Bay Rays. And we're excited because, you know, the Jays were killing it. They swept Oakland. They went to the Bronx, swept the Yanks. Then they had a weird series against Baltimore. They scored 973 runs, but they only won three of four. So it was kind of like, mm, are we that excited about it? It was pretty tight. It was weird. And then they came home and they played the Rays, who were the best team in the American League. Maybe the best team in Major League Baseball. Maybe the Dodgers might have something to say about it. The Jays might have something to say about it. But what we do know is the Tampa Bay Rays have the best record in the American League. They're leading the American League East by a wide margin. The Jays took two or three. We're feeling good, right? Feeling great, yeah. And and as much as the Rays' kind of reputation is as a pitching team, they are a team that hits the ball really well. Um, they kind of optimize their lineup and find a way to score runs. And heading into the series, I don't know where the numbers stand right now, but they had the most runs scored in baseball. Uh, as of before the series. So I'm curious where that stands and if the Jays potentially have passed them. But yes, it's a great team and a team that Jays always struggle with. And it's great to get a, a series win here uh, on the back of uh, ace Robbie Ray. That's right. So for context, I'm just looking at this right now. The Jays have not scored more runs than Tampa, but they have a better run differential now. The Tampa Bay Rays are in first place, 90 and 56. And they have a plus 169 run differential. The Jays are in second as we stand right now. The Yankees and the Red Sox, their games are not over yet as we record this. But the Jays have a 175 run differential. Tampa has scored 781 runs. The Jays have scored 771. I think if my math is correct, the difference in this series for run, the difference in run differential between these two teams came in this series because the first game was a huge explosion. They won today. 6-3. So I think that came today. 14-6. to 14-6. to six, The Jays have scored the Rays in this series. So they're up 
in terms of run differential by seven. So yes, that would have been that would have been the difference this series. So now we can officially say the Jays are better. Yes, and the Rays, and the Rays are frauds, as we always knew. As we always knew, this is not going to come back to haunt us. Absolutely. Saying this out loud and having it be recorded, this is not going to be a problem, right? Can say it out loud? Comfortable? Yeah, we'll say it. Uh, and of course, it's really smart to say it too with the four-game series at the Trop next week. Oh. Uh, certainly get the Rays. <laughs> oh. oh, no. Yeah, I, I take it all back. Uh, no, I'm regretting it. Let's... Let's stop this and delete the file. Start again. <laughs> Fuck this. I don't want it. I don't want to be a part of it. Because now I'm just visualizing a four-game series of the Trop, and it's making me anxious. I hate it. But we're going to ride the good vibes. What we're going to do is jump first into 3 Up, 3 Down, brought to you by Twig and Berries. As always, head over to twigandberries.ca and use the promo code NATION15 to buy yourself a pair of socks or underwear. Whatever you want. Who cares? Go and buy yourself something with the promo code specifically so that they know that we're doing a great job on our podcast marketing their products. So let's jump into three up, three down. We have a handful of ups and not that many downs because we're just kind of feeling the vibes. They just took two or three from Tampa Bay. So we're not going to complain about a bunch of shit. What we're going to do is talk about the good stuff. And the first thing we have down for and up is the pitching completely shut down the Rays. Tell me what happened that was so good this series because Tampa only scored six runs. This, this team scored 781 runs this season. They scored six in three games against the Jays. And I believe only two runs against the rotation in 22 innings. The Blue Jays rotation pitched 22 innings in this series and gave up two runs. Jose Brios, uh, he, was, he was fantastic in game one. Um, probably the weakest start of the three, and that's saying something because Brios looked good. Um, he did get a bit of Babbitt luck in the in that game and some good defense behind him. At seven innings, four hits, one run. Uh, Manoa the next day, best start of his career, eight innings, one hit, a one. single hit, zero walks, ten strikeouts, an absolutely monster performance. And Robbie Ray, uh, hopefully cementing his status as the front runner for Cy Young, seven innings uh, today, four hits, one run, zero walks, thirteen strikeouts. The only blemish on his day was that 45-degree launch angle home run by Mike Zanino. That was I'm not end. entirely sure how that got out, but it did, uh-huh. and that was it. That was it. 13 strikeouts from the ace, and uh, the pitching was outstanding. The rotation could not have pitched any better against an elite hitting offense. Yeah, if you look back at the entire series, it's so Manoa in the first game, eight innings of shutout. I kind of wish he was allowed to go for the ninth inning to get the full thing. Uh, Richards allowed one run there and then it was Barrio second game seven innings one earned run and then Meza allowed one Simber nothing and then the third game finally Robbie Ray seven innings one earned run Joaquin Soria came in allowed two Romano nothing so it was like the starters all told allowed two runs amazing so one question I have for you actually is is there a better starting rotation in the American League going into a playoff series than this right now? So if you think about it, ideal situation for the Jays, you have discount the wild card. Just if we're going to a series right now, you have Robbie Ray, Jose Barrios, Alec Manoa, and either Steven Matz or Hyunjin Ryu, which is kind of funny we're even having that conversation, Matz or mm-hmm. Ryu, but like that's where we're at. And it's it's even stranger that you're having that conversation, and it's a good thing, right? So if we go back to preseason and say that Ryu is going to pitch like the fifth starter and Pearson is going to be a non-factor in the rotation, like what does that <laughs> mean for what you forecasted the rotation to be? 
And now it's a substantial, impressive strength of the team. It's right up there with the offense, right? Like this team hits at an elite level. The starting pitching pitches at an elite level. Uh, Chicago White Sox are maybe the only team that even has a chance to be in that conversation. The Astros have some good young pitchers, but certainly not this good. Um, White Sox, Lance Lynn, with you know, without his time on the IL, he probably is right there with Robbie Ray in the Cy Young, con- uh, Cy Young competition. Um, Carlos Rodon having an incredible bounce back, uh, cheap uh, contract, kind of pillow contract, much like Robbie Ray. Um, so there are some parallels with the White Sox and the Blue Jays, but no, I'll, t- I'll take this rotation over, over anybody. Uh, the White Sox have Keiko, who's been terrible this year. Um, and the Jays don't have anybody who's pitched that poorly. So uh, it's a rotation that both has a high ceiling and a high floor. Because if the worst you have to offer is Ryu or what Mats is giving you this year, you are in phenomenal shape. Another interesting question is if you had to pick one guy to start a must-win game right now, and it's between Ryu and Mats, those are the options. Who would you pick? I'm uncomfortable with the question because I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> it's a weird hypothetical. It would never happen. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not sure the answer isn't Mats, which feels weird, um, and, it, and it creates a very interesting conversation. Uh, as much as we want to see the Blue Jays make the wild or the division series, just because it means they continue playing, I'd love to see what Charlie ends up doing with rotation because <laughs> there, it, like, it's a question to be asked, and I think Ryu will get his spot. Um, but but maybe they do something where those guys piggyback each other. I mean, they're both lefties, so that's maybe not the best way to do it, but Ryu is a guy that we've seen enough from when he doesn't have his stuff, yeah. can't keep pitching. I mean, in the season, you got to get depth, a bit of depth from your starter, and you try and let Ryu work out of it. In the playoffs, if Ryu is showing you an inning one or two, he doesn't have it, he's got to come out of the game. And we saw him blow up in the playoffs last year against Tampa Bay, and he just didn't have it, right? There was other factors there, like errors from Bo and and this and that, but he gave up a grand slam because Charlie bet on him in, I believe, just the second inning. Yep. And and that came back to haunt the Jays. So, um, yeah, I mean, the way you look at this rotation, you just got to have a quick, uh, quick pull on Ryu. And Ryu's had some great outings. That's the weird thing. He seems to be alternating bad and good outings. So you don't feel terrible about them, but you just need to be able to get them out of there quickly, send them to the showers if it's just one of those starts and you get a feel for that in the first, second inning. Well, so much for you, and I think we even knew this last year, and this is what they tried to do with the wildcard series against Tampa was reuse so much better on extra rest because this guy has his durability concerns. It's been the thing for his whole career. If he gets an extra day of rest, he's significantly better. And, you know, when he's on his five day rotation, sometimes he struggles, he's burnt out, but the Jays have so many good starters. I mean, even now Ross Stripling is back in the mix. He could potentially make a spot start. He's the long guy to the pen right now, but how they have it set up right now, they could possibly give you an extra day and, you know, have him be more effective than usual in the stars that he comes up. So Another thing to consider, whatever irrelevant, we're talking random hypothetical situations that mean nothing. So what we'll do is jump into the second up, which is the fact in game one, the Blue Jays slayed the Ryan Yarborough dragon, which is great because this guy is kind of a junk baller. And it made no sense that he would always dominate the Jays. And he had what, like a above four around five ERA against everybody else all time. And then like a one five ERA against the Jays. Anyways, in the first game on Monday, he goes two and one third allows 
10 hits, one walk, seven earned runs, one strikeout. What happened? What, what happened here? What happened? How? He got as many outs, seven, as he gave up runs, seven, and he gave up 10 hits. And what a feeling it is to see the great at-bats the Blue Jays had that day. They were laying off that um, that kind of slow cutter that just kind of sweeps in on in on a right-hander, right? So it just jams them. And look, from the arm slot that he's throwing from, that pitch looks like a strike the entire time it's coming to the plate. Jays did a great job seeing that early and laying off it and then feasting on mistake pitches from Yarbrough. Um, and, and it's always been this mystery, right? Why does he pitch so well against the Jays? And you go watch him face Boston and he gets lit up like every time. It just doesn't make sense. It's great to do that against a stupid Tampa Bay pitcher that you just like feel cursed by. It's like, it doesn't make sense, but he dominates. And why is that? And his ERA, like you said, it was something like two, three, five or yeah. something like that. Against I thought it was below two. Like it was insane. Yeah. So yeah, that, and just coming off of the, you know, the high of the Orioles series and all the runs they scored to go put up eight in that first game and uh, kind of take, um, I don't know, any of the just questions, right? You're coming into a good team that you struggle against and you just have this definitive crush them, step on their throat win in game one. It made you feel good about the rest of the series and it made the 2-0 Tuesday loss a little easier because those happen and the Jays aren't going to score a million runs every game. And then they bounce back in game three and manage to score uh, more runs and, and dominant pitching throughout. And it was a great series where you never felt like you were being outplayed by the Rays. The Tuesday game, the Jays lost. It was 2 nothing. That game could have turned with just a little bit more bad luck. Either way, like that was just a close game. That was really a toss-up as far as how it would play out. Jays happened to lose it, and then they went on the bookends of the series. And uh, that's a great thing to take into an off-day Thursday. Yeah, 100%. I felt the bats were pretty good this whole series. Like, even... You know, Tuesday's the outlier. They didn't score a single run. They only had three hits. And it's pretty hard to be like, oh, yeah, like, that was a pretty good game. But also, like, they were hitting the ball pretty hard that game, right? They like, stunned the ball and got into a lot of outs where their expected batting average was over 500. So, like, sometimes you just tip your cap to the analytics guys, the nerds and the Rays who just position ooh. all the fielders perfectly. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, you know, sometimes it just doesn't go your way. And in a long season, games like that happen. And the Jays came back the next day and immediately had clutch hits. And, and uh, yeah, it, it, it just, it's easy to shrug off a loss like that when you win on both sides of it, right? Another funny thing to mention from this first game, the one they won 8-1, to one, the Yarbrough game we were just talking about, is that the bottom of the order, Lourdes Gurriel, Randall Gritschuk, and Brabeck Valera combined for nine hits. That never yeah. happens, right? Yeah. Like. The whole, the whole thing this series has been, oh, they have their big five at the top and then the bottom order is a black hole. And then, then all of a sudden, nine hits. Yeah, that's, uh, that's just kind of one of those things where one of those games where everything's working right. Like just it, it, you feel invincible watching the games. Like, yeah, the Jays can't do any wrong here. Every single guy is going to come and contribute and get a hit and be productive and and uh, yeah, Bravik Valera getting, you know, occasional opportunity now at third base, just as, you know, with all the injuries the Jays have had um, for him to, you know, have a nice game like that. It's great. Good for him. And uh, let's hope that type of, you know, bad luck and some of that stuff can continue. But uh, yeah, that was, that was a game as much as the Jays have had like big wins, big moments, big games this year, just 
kind of taking it to the Rays and having the Rays feel what they have made us feel so many times is just one of my favorite games of the year. Coming okay. right into that series and opening it with that phenomenal, phenomenal way to, to play the Rays. Brevik Bolera hitting three hits against Tampa is the perfect role reversal. Because <laughs> that's exactly how we feel whenever anybody on the Rays hits against us. Because everyone... How is he not a Ray, actually? Yeah, how is he not a Ray just I know. He will be-, be one day. And it's going to ruin us. It's going to fuck us up. Brevik Bolera is going to become a Tampa Bay Ray. And he's going to put up a 900 OPS for his career against the Jays. And it's going to fuck us up. Absolutely. You just know what's going to happen, right? Like, it's, it's, it's natural. But for now, we enjoy Brabic Valera being a Blue Jays legend. That's what he is. Anyways, off to our third up of the podcast. And you came up with an interesting one. And this is kind of very under the radar. I noticed this because I was at the game today on Wednesday. Is that George Springer was running the bases. And we're not talking... June, George Springer is running the bases, jogging around. He's on the injured list. This is positive. No, George Springer was on base and he was ripping. Yeah. And this is a positive. Yeah, George Springer going full steam ahead in a couple instances where he's taking extra bases is what you want to see, right? So it's really hard watching him now because you don't know how much is pain versus how much is just the discomfort of the knee brace and how that's like changing how his body works. Because anytime he swings and misses, it's uncomfortable. And clearly, beyond anything else, the knee brace throws off his timing and his ability to plant and turn at the plate. So e- even when like Springer gets hit, he's either like stinging it to the opposite field or he's kind of just missing the sweet spot on the balls he pulls. And I think it's just part of his swing mechanics. His mechanics are different because of what the brace is doing to his knee and how it's restricting him. But then when you see him run and in a straight line, the knee brace works and he probably doesn't feel it as much. And he has the confidence to attack the, the opposition when an opportunity presents itself. So today on a three, two count, he's stealing or running from first base. because There's two out ball gets by the catcher. He rounds second base immediately. Bam. I'm taking off for third. And that's not something somebody who's really uncomfortable with their knee would do. And the other day we saw a hustle double where he pulls the ball left field and it's not that far away from the left fielder. And he right out of the box is going hard and he rounds the base hard and he slides aggressively into second base and he comes out of it fine. So the more we see this, the more it, it feels like it's more knee brace than, than knee pain, which is good news for the Jays and Jays fans as hopefully that continues to get better and better. And maybe eventually he's able to shed the brace. I don't know if that's a thing or not, but you have to be encouraged by what the aggressiveness you see because clearly it means he's comfortable. Yeah, 100%. It seems like seeing Springer go from – it was first to third in a pass ball. That's what I remember watching today because I got up to go look in the Jays' shop, and I was like, all right, they're batting, so I'll pay attention. Not easy for me to pay attention. Short attention span, that's life. <laughs> but I was watching, and there was the pass ball. George Springer was at first, and he ripped all the way to third base, and he was fucking gunning it, and – I was nervous when he was running. I was like, oh, no, that's George Springer running. He's running too hard. He's going to land at second or third base, and he's going to come up, and he's going to look fucked, and he's going to go back on the injured list. And it didn't happen. He was fine. And that's, that, that feels very encouraging. That's a, that's a very nice sign. Yeah, and it makes me feel so much better, like I said earlier, just about those uncomfortable swing and misses because it's like, all right, yeah. He, he's just uncomfortable because it's, like, it's, it's unnatural what he's having to do at the plate. 
but yeah, I just, I'm kind of beyond that whole fear of re-injury thing, knock on wood on that, but it, it feels good to know that he's improving. And there, I, I heard some beat reporters say the other day that like, they're not closing the door on him playing defense again this year, which um, look, if, if there's a chance he can play outfield, like how perfect is that for this team? If this team can have a hot Danny Jansen at catcher and a hot Alejandro Kirk at DH and Springer in the outfield, um, they're now running, you know, eight or nine deep, right? Like, so that's, that opens up so much potential for the Jays. And I think that's a configuration you really like when you look into 2022, but for this season, you feel like you're kind of robbed for, robbed of it as much yep. as Springer has to DH. But if there's a chance that he can return and play defense and maybe they put him in right field opposed to center. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's all encouraging and it's nice to see Springer in there every day and moving uh, and hustling and, and being confident in his knee. Speaking of that, like I'm trying to think, what's our realistic best lineup? So do we think if Springer comes back, he's playing in center field or are we putting him in left? Like what's happening there? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess it depends if Lourdes and Teoscar, Teoscar, they've been probably, good, right? Yeah, you're probably just putting him in center field unless you you know want to run Teoscar out there. Because, um, yeah. yeah, if he's playing right field, it's likely Gritchick in center, which that kind of, you know, he's hot right now, yeah. but that probably negates the the benefit you get from DH and Kirk. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting question. I, I think the lineup they've been running out now on days that Kirk catches is pretty much their optimal lineup as far as, you know, whether it's Lamb or Bravik at third base. Um, doesn't really matter. That's kind of your nine-hole guy. But everything else is kind of fitting into the batting lineup puzzle piece and positional puzzle pieces, and, and it, it works. It, it works for where they're at right now as long as Springer's DHing. So speaking of lineups and all this wacky stuff, we only have one down. We're very positive vibes this time around. We have one down. And it was in the second game, Charlie Montoya. I think we've been very positive with Charlie lately. We've been, you know, we haven't criticized Charlie all too much. Like, I, I think we went on our way to praise him a few times in the Yankees series. He handled the bullpen supremely well there. Did a great job. Like, I'm not like a Charlie basher at all, but I'm also not a guy who's going to shy away from criticizing Charlie when he does dumb shit. But in the second game of this series, we landed ourselves in the bottom of the eighth inning. The Jays were down 2 nothing, And Gurriel came up first batter. And then it was Brabeck Valera and Reese McGuire were the next two. And we all thought, okay, you know, here's a perfect chance to take whoever off the bench to pinch hit for one of these two guys. Like maybe you let Valera still hit because it was right before in the first game he had his three-hit game. That's fair. Let him go. But... I'm not sure Reese McGuire hitting is the right play. So that's our one down. Why wasn't Charlie pinch hitting anybody? What was going on there? Yeah. And I, like, I, I struggled with this one. It just didn't make sense to me. I, I, it feels like we're kind of at this point where every game is a playoff game because the, the margin of error is so razor thin here where you need to get wins when they're available and the Jays were losing two nothing. So likely no matter what they are losing that game, that's the more likely outcome. But we're now at a stage where you're not trying to protect players' feelings. You're not trying to get a guy a full game because he's been sitting lately. You need to win a game. So based on what we know from the offensive profile of Reese McGuire versus Alejandro Kirk, handedness aside, yes, versus a right-handed reliever, Reese McGuire has the platoon advantage. But I don't think the platoon advantage matters when the right-handed hitter is good against righties and the left-handed hitter 
is your third string catcher for the sole reason of his inability to hit. Reese has had some nice moments this year. Um, you remember the walk before the George Springer home run yep. in the Boston series. Like there, there are memorable moments and Reese, his first like handful of games when he first came up with, had a hot streak, but Reese is not a good hitter. We've got a large enough sample to be moderately confident in that. And I wish all the best for him in his major league career, but he's not a good hitter. Alejandro Kirk is a good hitter. The pitching matchup is David Robertson, who was, you know, he, he's old now. He was a great setup man for a long time. In 2009. At one point. But he was unsigned until August. He was one of those guys who didn't get a major league deal in spring and just kind of sat out. And then eventually he committed to playing for um, the U.S. national team in the Olympics. And he, and he pitched well, like good for him. He performed well. Gets a contract from the Rays in August, and suddenly he's in a setup opportunity. Andrew Kittredge has been the Rays' closer for a lot of the season. They, they mix and match their closers, obviously. But he's got, what, like a 1-4 ERA? He's coming in to pitch the ninth. So the eighth is your opportunity to score. George Springer has the flair for the dramatic home run. And the biggest, most, the most important thing in that eighth inning is to get a runner on base for Springer, right? So you got 7-8-9 coming up. Unfortunately, 7-8 and eight both get out. I, I would have been fine pinch hitting for Valera. I see that as less egregious than Reese, but I think you still could have pinch hit for him as well. But then you get to Reese at the ninth spot. There's two out. Yes, a walk is great, and a walk accomplishes what you want there. Um, but I do not have near the confidence that Reese is going to get on versus Kirk in that scenario. And I don't know why Charlie did not manage that more aggressively. Obviously it created a, you know, a substantial conversation and, uh, and uh, amongst fans. And, and like you said, like all criticism isn't fair of managers. One there's missing context. We don't know what information they have as far as player injuries and, and all that stuff. And, and two, there's a lot of toss-up decisions managers make. Just because we as fans disagree with it doesn't mean the alternative was outright wrong. It just means there's two scenarios, and he picked one versus the other, and you could have gone either way. Um, so managers get too much heat. I get that. It happens a lot. Uh, but then there's ones that feel more obvious, and that's where you take problem with it. And it's not always hindsight, right? Like just waiting till the Blue Jays lose and then saying that decision was dumb – isn't fair. You need to have a, a problem with it when it's happening, because that says, regardless of outcome, you think that was the wrong decision. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't fully understand, understand why he just decided Reese needed to hit who he hasn't felt, felt Reese was good enough to play in like a week. So why is he good enough to get an eighth inning at bat when you've got multiple good hitters on the bench who are hotter, much hotter at the plate than he is. And, and you're giving him that plate appearance. It just doesn't make sense for a critical game late in the season. No, it was a weird one. And like you said, it, it, this whole thing spurred off a huge day on Twitter where everybody was fuck Charlie. Charlie's an idiot. Like the team's doing well right now in spite of Charlie. And then there was a few people who were, you know, hey, let's be easy with Charlie. Like, stop criticizing him. This is lazy. Like, where do we stand here? I've seen a lot of people say, I saw one person actually in the, the, the BJ on Twitter mentions being like, I wouldn't mind the Jays missing the playoffs because I think it would mean they'd finally fire Charlie. 
which I personally think is completely it's absurd. Insane. Yeah, That's like insane. The playoffs are the greatest thing we can experience as baseball fans, and Charlie isn't an outright detestable human being. No. So because of that, look, I want Charlie to make good decisions because he's the Blue Jays manager. I root for him to make good decisions. Um, I'm I'm probably somewhere between indifferent and not great on how I feel about him as far as tactical decisions and as far as personality and clubhouse leadership and all that stuff. It seems, as much as we can tell, that he's good at that stuff. I don't need Charlie to be performative. He's not an angry person. He's not a yell in the face of an umpire guy. That's fine. Just because we like seeing that on TV doesn't mean that's the way somebody has to manage. So there's a lot of criticism for Charlie. That's unfair. At the same time, we need to evaluate, like I said, decisions in the moment, what he has available to him and the decision he makes. And does that seem right or wrong at that time? And I feel like I question quite a bit of stuff there with Charlie. And that's what makes me relatively indifferent to him, whether or not he's the manager long term. But yes, make the playoffs and keep them around next year. Like sure. teams with bad managers, Ned Yost is way worse than Charlie Montoya. <laughs> he went to two straight World Series, winning uh, one with the Blue Jays. Uh, He's not a good tactical manager, but baseball is very luck heavy. People just get lucky at the right time, and that produces results. Much like the Blue Jays just went 15 and 3, and I don't think Charlie's a big component of them going that well. Their, no. their talent finally performed. And when Jays are winning blowouts, Charlie's a non-factor. When Jays are winning close games, he's a factor in the decisions he makes. But if he just makes these kind of, you know, run-of-the-mill expected decisions, again, that's not a manager winning games for his team. Him making a batting order and putting one guy six versus that guy being seventh might randomly have an impact on the game that day. But it's, like, not likely to actually have an impact that's foreseeable. So all those things work together to say that, yes, you can complain about a manager when you're in a big winning streak because there haven't been a ton of super close games where he's had the option to make a move that would hopefully help. And that's really the only place I stand on this topic is a manager needs to be judged for the decisions they make that are going to impact a game in the win and loss column. And it comes down to that. Yeah, I agree. I think people get a little bit too worked up over manager decisions. I think it's an easy thing to just magnify in the moment. Like, oh, geez, if Charlie had done exactly this, oh, geez, if he had pinch hit Reese there for Alejandro Kirk, he would have taken a walk and then Springer would have homer. They would have tied the game. It would have happened. That's what I wanted to see. And that's what would have happened. You know, if he had put in this reliever, but you just don't know, right? Like, and I'm not being critical. Like what you're saying is you're being objective. It's accurate. Like, but you just don't know it. I mean, like the managers, I think we overrate the extent to which they can actually control a game. And the thing I like about Charlie personally is I think he creates a very calm and relaxed vibe for the guys to thrive in. I think I'm not sure if Vlad and, you know, guys like that would have the same maybe swagger they do with a different veteran old school manager, you know, maybe they don't have the home run jacket. Maybe Alec Manoa is not posting 77 Instagram stories a night of them dancing in the room. Like it's a club, right? Like it's those kind of things seem like they're important for the team on the run they're on right now. Right. We, we tend to project what we want to see from a manager as far as performative stuff onto what a manager should be doing. And just because we want 
Um, and, and honestly, I don't even care. But just because people want Montoya to start yelling at Brandon Hyde in the Orioles series <laughs> doesn't mean his team wants him to do that, right? So, and that's really all that matters. And Charlie's probably looking to defuse that situation. He doesn't want the benches to clear and him to come out of the dugout and potentially now it's a beanball war. That doesn't serve his team. His team needs to beat the Orioles and stay healthy. And how do you do that? By not making anything into something bigger, not escalating the situation. And clearly, I mean, that would be a strength of his. So, yeah, just because we want something or people want something performative doesn't mean it's the right way to manage. And quite frankly, you know, Charlie's spoken about having anger issues earlier in his life. If he's this good at just keeping it down and inside, he's worked on himself a lot to get there. And it's commendable. And it's not wrong for him to be that way. So I'm I'm more than fine with that type of stuff. I, it doesn't bother me too much. There's been a few instances where I'd, I'd like to see him get more heated. Doesn't mean it's wrong that he wasn't. I'd just like to see it. But whatever, who cares what I want? It's, it's his team and his players that matter. And ultimately, that those are how you know the front office is going to know how the players feel about him. And and that assessment drives their decision on whether to keep Charlie or or let him go. On top of the tactical stuff and and decision making in the game and all and all those things. But right now, he's the manager of the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are a great team. The Blue Jays are going to the playoffs, and hopefully he doesn't cost them. He has a very legitimate chance to make to go and, and win a lot of games. I'm calling it now. Jays are making you the are. playoffs. You did. I, I made a big face there. And I thought you were going to say when you were calling it that he's going to win manager of the year because I think he is. And <laughs> Which would be hilarious. Well, he probably Absolutely will. Hilarious. Let's be real here. Let's be real here. Yeah. Like, okay, the Jays host the wild card game, hypothetically. That's kind of where we're at. We're pretty close to that. Knock on wood, that's what happens, right? Yeah. So if we're looking at it objectively, Alex Cora, Red Sox, he's not going to win. Not happening. There's no, no way. That's there's, there's no way. Kevin Cash just won. He's not winning again. Your if other options are... If, yeah, playoff, that Scott that happen. probably, that's probably win it. Um, yeah. I, I think Cash has a chance, but I, I think there's just... I don't see it. It's never happened. Back-to-back yeah. manager of the year, it just is too much fatigue. Look, there's a storyline there with Charlie. He, they have three yeah. home locations. They moved around. So, like, voters are not looking at every tactical decision. No, it's a narrative-based thing, record. Right? They look at what the team had to go through, and they just vote for a guy. So, yeah, Charlie probably is going to win manager of the year if they make Fuck it. Yeah. It's going to be so funny. Like, it's going to be such a hilarious thing for discourse when Charlie inevitably wins manager of the year. I think the only one who might get in the way of that is, like you said, Seattle. If they do make it, then Scott Zervais has a chance. And then also Tony La Russa, just in case any old school baseball writer really wants to make a point. Please but know. the White Sox were better last year than they were this year, and they're also not that good. Yeah. So how do you do that? Anyways, that's enough Charlie discourse. Good Lord, that's a lot to talk about. So we'll finish off going up next. Up next section is brought to you by DoorDash. First-time DoorDash users get 25% off and no delivery fees with the promo code BJNPODDB. So go ahead and order yourself something. Anyways, next up, the Blue Jays have Thursday off and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Toronto against the Minnesota Twins, who are terrible. It's going to be Ryu, Mats, and I think Alec Manoa, but they're talking about manipulating these starts, so maybe Barrios goes on Sunday, maybe. Yep, could see that playing. Could see it playing out that way. We'll probably learn by Friday who the who the Sunday starter is. So we got Minnesota here. They're terrible, as we saw. We we're all doing the out of town scoreboard thing on Monday when they played the Yankees. They got off to what, like a five nothing lead. 
Lost yeah, that one hurt. Five. That one hurt. I was I was counting that, that was as close. a win for the Twins, and they they blew it. Their pitching isn't bad that they're bringing into this series. They've got uh, that young guy they got in the Nelson Cruz trade, who's who pitched really well. He had a no hitter into the seventh, a perfect game actually into the seventh, I think, against Cleveland recently. Uh, Michael Potatoes had a fine year. He's got an ERA under four. Um, somebody named Ober starting on Saturday <laughs> got a four twelve ERA. Sure, good for him. Um, but yeah, and I'm ex- expecting to see Joe Ryan on Sunday. It hasn't been announced yet, but that lines up for his spot. And he's he's a really good prospect. So uh, it's not an easy series. The Twins can still hit. Um, but yeah, they're a flawed team that sold off some of their pieces this year. And and a series the Jays should win, right? Go go win two, hopefully three, but win at least two and just keep winning series like they have been. Yeah, like we talked about last time, Tyler and I, with the Baltimore series, is no such thing as automatic. Like, even with Baltimore, like the Orioles were pretty bad that series in a lot of ways, but they also weren't that bad. Like uh, the Orioles put up like a pretty fair showing for a completely garbage team, right? Like your bottom three major league baseball, you suck, but you put up a fair showing. Like the guys can still hit the twins. Like coming into the season, they were expected to be in the mix to win the AL central and it didn't happen. I mean, you sold off Jose Barrios, Jay Happ and whoever else at the deadline, but you still have the foundation of a decent team. Like Josh Donaldson's still there. There's still some good starters. Like there's, there's fair pieces here. So, I mean, it's not an automatic. So I think perfectly to be frank, if they took two or three, that's great. That's where we're at now. They built up enough of a cushion, the Jays, where they don't have to sweep all these series now. Yeah. Just, just keep winning series and everything else will take care of itself. Everything else will take care of itself. Meaning we need the Red Sox and the Yankees and all these teams to get swept that's what we need. Need them to finally start losing some games. Actually, I'm going to go. Uh, we're kind of in the middle of this right now, but I want to see what's happening with the Red Sox and the. Mariners. It's not good. It's not Red good. Sox, six runs in the tenth inning. Oh, that's not what you like to see. Yeah, and then the Yankees are already beating the Orioles two nothing. Ah. Anyways, we'll count those as both wins for the Red Sox and the Yankees. That's not what we want want to see. Anyways, BK, do you have anything else to add? Good to go. That is all. Uh, Looking forward to this next series. And uh, yeah, just keep the good vibes going. Gorgeous. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for tuning in to Blue Jays Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network podcast and delivered by DoorDash. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.